What's up, guys, and welcome back to the Why Are We Watching This podcast. This week, Zach's out for revenge, and Sean's burning for you because we're watching Mandy. The bees! Ah! Ah! What's up, guys? I'm Sean. I'm Zach. And this week, we are watching action fantasy horror movie Mandy. Mandy came out in 2018. It is not rated. It runs two hours, one minute. It was written and directed by Panos Cosmatos. It has an IMDb rating of 6.6. It had a budget of $6 million. And Zach, did it make money or lose money? Uh, I'm going to say it made money. This movie only made $1.4 million. It lost money. Boo! And, and... I actually went and checked because Panos has only made one other movie mm. and it was uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow and that movie actually severely lost money as well. Oh, damn. So, and I, I you know, I've seen both movies and while I think Beyond the Black Rainbow is like a, a great visually, it is an art house movie and I can understand why people maybe didn't get it or weren't into it. But I think this movie, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The movie and my score here a little bit, but I think this movie is fucking awesome, and it deserved what way more than uh, attention than it got. Yeah, I definitely think it should have been like blown up a little bit more. Like, I feel like this could have like been a theatrical release. I believe it was. Oh, okay. Kind I didn't of. hear about it coming out because it has a box office. Uh, was it like when they do like select theaters? I believe that's something? what it, was. it probably like, was. Like, that's, like, how, like, you'll only see certain movies at, like, the Fox Tower. Right. A quick synopsis on this movie. After Red and Mandy, an antisocial couple from the mountains, are attacked by a sex cult resulting in Mandy's death, Red takes a psychedelic journey into a world of ultra-violence and cosmic horror. And that's, I mean, we're going to get into it, and I'm going to say right now, like, I have, like, five or six pages of notes, and I'm not going to go through everything, because there's a lot to unpack with this movie, and I think that... After you listen to this episode, or really, I would suggest before you listen to this episode, maybe watch the movie. But if we do pique your interest at any point, stop listening, watch the movie, because there's, we're going to miss a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, definitely be like prepared to just watch something pretty crazy, because like they do some weird stuff, and there's kind of like a lot to pay attention to, but like you can kind of like zone out to the movie, and like it still kind of works in your favor, because like this movie's like it's like an acid trip. Oh, totally. Uh, particularly once you hit the... I've never done acid, but I just want to make that clear. <laughs> once the movie hits the one-hour point, we do have, you know, acid or drug use. Yeah, and that's LSD. where the movie really kicks it in, Would too. you like some more LSD? <laughs> uh, so, before we jump in, uh, we've, talk about, we've talked about Panos Cosmatos before. His dad, George P. Cosmatos, uh, directed a movie that we covered, and I don't remember what it is. The Octoman. <laughs> no. God, thank God. Panos has only made two movies. I'm huge on Panos. I came across this movie because of SpectreVision. I've been following SpectreVision for a while, and it's Elijah Wood's production company. I don't want to say it's his, but he is one of the major players that's in it. Um, and they've made some other movies that we're going to be covering this season. Yeah. And that was kind of what made me decide not to pick older movies, but to pick newer movies and kind of spotlight some stuff that I think isn't getting attention or needs more attention. Uh, because Spectre Vision's a pretty dope company, and they're really like making some great stuff. And with that being said, their next movie that they're planning isn't even a horror movie. It's a comedy. And it like looks good. Yeah. So I, like I'm big on this company. I think they're dope. 
The movie opens up with When I Die, Bury Me Deep, Lay Two Speakers at My Feet, Wrap Some Headphones Around My Head, and Rock and Roll Me When I'm Dead. Yeah. Having seen the movie, don't you feel like that's a badass way to go into it? Yeah, definitely. Like, now that you know what you're getting into? Yeah. Because I know when you, we first said it, you were like, eh. But then I think once you watched and I, I think I probably felt the same way, I probably was like, oh, cool. But having seen the movie, I'm like, okay, cool. He's, like, really living by what he's saying here because the movie hits the fucking fan. Yeah. And, well, and it's, it's kind of crazy how much, like, music is, like, involved in this movie. They use it to really, like, define the characters. Yeah. Which, uh, it comes up with the, with Mandy. I mean, she's wearing a Motley Crue shirt when we're introduced to her. Mm-hmm. We later see her in a Black Sabbath shirt. So she, they kind of set up that she likes metal. Yeah. And then she's also reading a fantasy novel. Yeah. Which we do get some of her reading. And it does sort of come back later out, uh, later in the story. There's a lot that she kind of says that you have to have the speakers blasting. You got to be in a dark room. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, be in, like, a room with, like, just make sure there's, like, n- absolutely no glare and the picture's, like, pretty good. Yeah. Honestly, like, when I when I got so phased into the movie, like, I was like, this looks so freaking good. Yeah. Um, it was just hard when we had some of the glare and, like, I couldn't, like, kind of see some stuff going on. But, uh, yeah, like, there's, visually, this movie was pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. I, I was going to say, to get it off my notes, like, the visuals in this movie are uh, worth watching alone. Yeah. And it, it's it's experimental and you can see that it there's this art house director that's making it. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like an art movie art house movie really. It also helps if you're a little lit when you watch it too. <laughs> I recommend it. Yeah, Zach, I was afraid you were gonna green out during this one. Oh no, dude. Um my third eye freaking peaked wide open. Now this whole film is sort of a metaphor. I don't know necessarily what for, so I think maybe we'll dive into a couple of different points, at least a, a couple that I I was thinking about while watching this. Uh Panos has said that this was his way of reconciling his relationship at the time uh-huh. that it ended. Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh especially when you kind of see the way Mandy is treated in this because she's by no means mistreated until she dies. Yeah. Now we get Linus Roach, who I know from the Dark Knight trilogy, he plays Thomas Wayne, and I like Linus Roach in this movie because he's playing the exact opposite character. Oh, absolutely! Like he kind of takes it to like uh, a weird level sometimes, but like it works so well for the movie. Well, he he matches like Nick Cage's energy, which but like in his thing, own way. That's another thing we should address is like. Nick Cage gets a lot of, like, kind of bad publicity for being over the top and being in some movies that aren't that great. And I'm going to say it right now. I think Nick Cage is a great actor. I think oh, me that too. You, the, you have to realize that he is someone that just wants to make movies, and that's why he does make these things. But at the same time, when you have a director that knows how to control him and really use him, and in a role especially that he can fit into, like this movie, you can see that he's a good actor. Yeah. Because you see him lose his shit and we get Rage Cage, but it makes fucking sense. Like, yeah. it, does, it doesn't feel shoehorned. It's it's like the movie was written so that w- you can get that Rage Cage in its, like, proper environment. Right. And and in a way that you still, um, you're still, like, sympathizing and empathizing with him in that situation rather than kind of laughing at it. Oh, absolutely. Because I don't think that there's any point in this movie that you can laugh at. I mean, there are, but even then, you're most of the time laughing because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, like, a lot of it for me was just that I was, like, laughing at, like, how insane the shot was and, like, the whole scene or something like that. Um, not necessarily out of, uh, like, not being comfortable, but actually being, like, kind of, like, really comfortable with it. It's like, oh, sure. It's like, oh, this is really cool how they did this. 
And how, like, uh, like kind of more specifically that scene when he goes in the bathroom and gets the vodka out. Man, and see, I've, I've seen this movie a few times, and that scene gets me every time. Because as Rage Cage as he goes, you believe that this is someone who, by the way, they set up, doesn't drink anymore. He had a problem with alcohol. Yeah. You see him lose his shit, drink an entire fucking bottle, and go through this whole wave of emotions as he goes through, like... What he just experienced, which I'm not going to dive into just yet what happens with Mandy, because I think that how she dies is more important than spoiling that she dies. Yeah. Um, and sort of what leads up to it. We also get, uh, we have Andrea Roseborough, or Riseborough, excuse me, who plays Mandy. And I, I think she is so just ghastly and haunting in this role, and it works so well. And, and you said it at one point too, but she's sort of like, attractive in such a strange way yeah um it was just like <sighs> like oddly attractive i think is what you actually said but i don't <laughs> think there's a better way to say that and i know that sounds offensive but it's not it's yeah i didn't mean it in an offensive way at all it was she just looks like ghostly yeah they they definitely like used her like most basic look of herself like to the advantage of this movie like, and that's, like, really smart and just really cool. And we also get this, like, weird, which I don't know if you want to dive into it more, but uh, this weird moment when she meets, um, what was the guy's name that plays? Jeremiah Sand. Uh, what is the actor, though? Oh, it's uh, Linus Roach. Linus Roach. Okay. Um, we get this weird scene where, like, it's him talking and then it phases between his face and hers. Let's wait. Let's wait to get there. Because okay. I think that why that happens is also kind of important. Sure. Well, probably. Um, the score for this movie was Johan Johansson's last score before he died at 48 years old. R.I.P. to him. Because I, I didn't... I don't. I can't think like specifically to any of the movies that he's done. But I know... So he did Sicario. He did Mother. He did Prisoners. Which, in my opinion, is like gold-tier film. Mm-hmm. And I can't say I remember the soundtrack or yeah. the score, but the score for this movie is on my phone. Yeah, it was really good. Like this score is perfect. It watching the movie and like listening to it, I was kind of just like, man, it's so crazy how like you know, like somebody like their idea of what this movie should sound like and the sound design on it, like is so important, especially to a movie like this. Well, and the sound design, too, even beyond the music in this movie, I think adds this whole layer of, like, discomfort to it between the modulation of the voices. Yeah. um, And, like, scenes when we see a barbed wire rubbing against red skin, that's Nicolas Cage's character's red, and you can hear it, and it sounds real, and it sounds terrible, it sounds painful. Andrea Riseborough was also in National Treasure, Oblivion, and Birdman. Birdman's an awesome movie. Go watch Birdman. Yeah, nice. Uh, Bill Duke's in this movie. He was in Commando and Predator. He is sort of our um, our like explanation for some of the weird shit that is going on in this movie. Yeah. And we'll kind of get there because that scene's pretty important too. We are introduced to Nick Cage's Red and, um, and Mandy living in the woods. Mm-hmm. Red is a lumberjack and Mandy is painting these sort of like uh, high fantasy space sort of like paintings and they're yeah. really beautiful paintings the stuff that she makes in this yeah all the visuals in this movie honestly are just like perfect um and this is the shadow mountains 1983 ad 
So the movie takes place in 1983. And I, I, like, I thought that was funny that he threw the AD in because it's sort of like feels fantasy when yeah. you add it. But he's it's still just 1983. Yeah. You know? Like, it, it, it adds like, that layer. It's funny because it's like almost unnecessary, but like the fact that it's there kind of like adds to it. Right. Like you could do without, but it does add that extra bit. And yeah. and this, um, I'm going to get into this really quick. This movie's sort of in three chapters. And in my opinion, we have two prologue chapters and then we have the actual film. Yeah. So, and we'll get into that because the title credit, Mandy, appears at about one hour and 15 minutes. One hour, 14 minutes. Yeah. That's when the movie is really going. But before that, we have the, the Shadow Mountains, 1983 AD. This is where we are really introduced to Mandy and Red, and we just sort of, uh, sort of see their background. Um, and we see that they're two sort of psychologically wounded people that really like love each other and rely on each other, and we just see that they're very simple, yeah. and they love ki- like they lo- like being to themselves. Yeah. And uh, we get some cool conversations between them. I know that you were really vibing on one uh Mandy asks Red what his favorite planet was. No, he her. asks her. Oh, right, right, right. He asks her, and then she asks him. And I know you're vibing that because she gave, like, this explanation behind both the planets that they chose. Yeah, and it was, was really like, cool. the way she described, she says her favorite planet is Jupiter, and the way she, like, you gotta watch this movie to, like, get it. And that's the thing, too, is, like, you've gotta be in the mindset to, like, really be able to soak everything in and, like, really Absolutely. listen. And, like, if... If you really pay attention to it and, you know, you're kind of into this, like, kind of cosmic horror stuff, which, like, it doesn't feel cosmic horror until, like, maybe 30 minutes into the movie. Right. Um, Which is actually, like, the perfect point for it to do that because otherwise it would have been dragging on. The way she describes Jupiter, though, she says her her favorite planet is Jupiter. The way she describes it, though, is just, like, so cool. And, like, you need to, like, hear her talk about it because it's – it, like, makes the whole thing and then – Cage comes in clutch saying his favorite was Saturn. I thought it was pretty dope. Um, but yeah, like, and then she talks about how like the, uh, it's one of the first planets we found and has to do with a lot of mythology and stuff like that. And it's just interesting that they have this uh, like conversation like that. And but they're, about all, these they're also adding depth to her character and showing you that she's incredibly intelligent. Yeah. And she's this well-read person who, while she keeps to herself, she she really is just taking in knowledge and sort of trying to have an understanding of the world. Yeah. Red does say something after that, after she gives the explanation. He says he changed his mind. Yeah. He picks Galactus. He says that's not a planet, and he says, I know, but he eats them. Yeah. And I know that you loved that because you're a big Marvel fan, but Hell also yeah. because, it, like you said while we were watching this, it's you can relate to that conversation. Yeah. And it feels kind of real. And, and I think that this movie does some stuff that feels very real, especially when you're willing to put yourself in the movie really like submerge yourself into it and watch it and it does feel real even, yeah even the high fantasy stuff that does happen feels kind of real oh for sure we get to hear another conversation uh where mandy sort of explains this awful trauma uh from her childhood yeah about some starlings the starlings eating the cherry tree or yeah. cherries from the cherry tree and uh some children beating them to death i believe is what she explains and then she kind of just sat and watched in horror yeah uh, and, and before that, a little bit before that, we kind of get a little bit of insight that Red's an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic, uh, which is kind of dropped in there because of something that's going to happen later, the bathroom scene, which we kind of brought up. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is mostly just to introduce the characters. And then we get chapter two, which is basically where their lives get flipped upside down. And it's the children of the new dawn. And we're introduced to Jeremiah Sand and the cult. Mm-hmm. I just want to like state really quick: this movie builds tension in a way that, like, I kind of don't expect 
some of the characters to say something. And I guess, like, I kind of went into it expecting everyone to be, like, I guess I thought it was going to be a little creepier. Not that sure. it's not creepy or, like, cool in that way. It definitely is. But um, I, I guess I thought it was going to be a little darker because, like, when she – I thought she was going to, like, <laughs> kind of go more crazy with him and be like, I murdered, like, all the birds or something. Oh. I don't know why I was expecting that. But yeah, well, and that's something, too, that I kind of wanted to bring up before we even go any further is uh, the way Panos treats Mandy in this. Because, like I said, this is his way of reconciling with a relationship. It's really interesting that he makes her out to be this innocent thing that's sort of just been abused by the world and has experienced this awful shit and she's trying to just get through it. Yeah. Um, but also the way that uh, Red is sort of this quiet, humble... Man, but when push comes to shove, he turns it back on and becomes, like, this monster. Almost transcends humanity Yeah, by the end of the movie. It is pretty insane. Um, Jeremiah Sand is a piece of shit. Yeah. And that's the, I mean, that's the that on that with him, because there's not a single thing he does in this movie that's forgivable. Yeah. And I will get to one point, which, uh, kudos to Linus Roach for, as an actor, because there are things he does with his face in this movie that portray um, emotion uh, without words at all. He won't say anything, but he'll do something with his face, and you see in his face exactly what that character is thinking in that moment. Yeah. One, the character kind of doesn't develop without it. But I'll wait till we get there, because we're almost there. And I will also say that Jeremiah, the way that he acts, because he's sort of a spoiled brat. Yeah, it was kind of unfortunate to see that, because part of me kind of just felt like at first I was like, this guy is like, uh, like a real leader for the most part. Like people listen to him and when they don't, you know, he kind of shows his like, uh, irritation or frustration with it. Um, and then like, he makes examples of people and I thought he was going to be kind of cooler. No, and then he kind of like, when you get to that, you know, that one scene, it's just like he it kind of goes downhill and you see how like pathetic he is. Oh, incredibly. Right. And and that's the thing too. You you kind of see throughout the movie that Jeremiah's uh uses religion and his cult basically just as a way to sleep with people. Yeah. I mean, that's ultimately what it is, a sex cult. And he has these people brainwashed. That, I mean, and I was going to ask you a question because this this came up in my mind only because of the amount of true crime stuff that I've kind of listened to and and this has come up. Do you think he's having sex with the men, too? I kind of got that vibe, but there wasn't anything to confirm it, so I don't know, but... I kind of got the vibe, too. Like you said, they don't confirm it, but I kind of got that vibe. Yeah. And and I say that because there are cults in the past where that's been the case. Right. But they do kind of give that vibe, especially the older man when he comes in Mm -hmm. and talks to him. They get really intimate. Like, he's he's really very close to his face, and... And he's got his hand on his face, and they're kind of having a moment together where he's asking him to go do something for him, which that thing is to go get Mandy. At the same time, though, I would say just because he's physically showing that passion doesn't mean it's necessarily sexual You're either. totally right, and that's why I'm asking. Because, like I said, they don't... They don't... Because um, there's something he says where he's like... I guess he's a, essentially talking about God and uh, says something along the lines of like he just w- wants his children to love each other. He also at one point explains that, uh, or he expressed himself through love Mm -hmm. and uh, in music, which that, I mean, we're going to get there because that scene's pretty interesting and and kind of a huge point for the movie. Oh, absolutely. I Um, mean, that's kind of what I was touching on in in a couple parts, so. uh, We 
we were introduced to a couple of the fantasy elements of this movie pretty early, one of which being the Horn of Abraxas, mm-hmm. which this thing, when it, uh, when it is blown through and we get the sound, sounds wild. It was Yeah, it cool. definitely does. Um, it, it also looked like it could have been a horn off something, so like I was kind of confused on... Like, my first instinct was, like, a musical horn. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But then when you see it, which they do something really cool, and that's why you really got to see this movie. Every time they show it in someone's hand, there's, like, this bright-ass, like, neon green strobe happening. But it's being, like, emitted from the horn itself. And it's really interesting that they do it that way because, like, it, it just, it like, it looks crazy. Right. Uh, in the visuals in this movie, there's a lot of stuff that is played that way where they'll do a specific uh, light scheme and they'll stick with it every yeah. time that thing comes up. And it's really cool. Yeah. It kind of helps you understand some things a little bit better as well. No, absolutely. And and they do uh, – one thing they do with these fantasy themes that I really appreciate is they don't really explain them. Yeah. They don't take the time to like give you explanation and backstory on it, which I kind of like that. It feels more real, especially with the amount that there is. Yeah, and they th- – I mean – that's the thing is the movie's not necessarily about exploring those things. Although it would be cool if maybe we got some sort of like movie where maybe they do kind of dive into one of those a little more. Um, but you get like enough information about it to just be like, Oh cool. Right. Absolutely. And, like, it makes the movie. We get a little Easter egg here. We find out that Red and Mandy live up by Crystal Lake during this scene. I oh, I that didn't was even notice funny. that one. When the horn of Abraxas is sounded, we get this kind of funny like scene uh, to give you a little bit of like, chemistry between the cult members where we see the one weirder guy kind of rolling the window up and down. Yeah. And even though it's kind of a, uh, maybe an unnecessary shot, like I thought it was kind of funny and it did kind of help build chemistry for what these people are like and kind of show that he's sort of a simple dude, which is the way I got or what I got from him. I wouldn't say it's unnecessary. I think, I think it was like, it's, it's, it's not important necessarily, but I mean, like it is, it makes such a part of the movie, too. Right. No, I, I think that there's so many little things that Panos wanted in this movie that weren't important, but at the same time make this movie. And and that's why, like, this movie is kind of important to me because of that. Like, watching it, I can see that this is somebody who really had was passionate about their idea and kind of was like, just let me do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, like, it's fucking cool like yeah. it's just so fucking cool and it's not really like anything else yeah for sure um i feel like that scene also kind of really humanizes those people as well because that's exactly when we get well what they're referred to as the black skulls yeah we get the black skulls the black skulls are potentially these like <laughs> this like cosmic biker gang bill duke's character explains that the legend is they took this like super concentrated form of lsd that like fried their minds permanently and then they basically succumbed to pain and became these sadistic, like, monsters. Yeah. Which they do sort of... They're reminiscent of the Cenobites. A little bit. But they're not ripping them off, and I can appreciate in no, that. Yeah, in no way is it ripping them off. Um, I was, It was kind of unclear in one scene. When they die, do they kind of revert back to, like, being a normal human? No, oh, I think they're just dead. Because it kind of seemed like after he killed that first one... Well, uh, hold on, because there's there's it was confu- uh, there was some confusion I had about that scene that only cleared up this time I watched it. Okay, and, and it might answer your question. Gotcha. Um, so the first black black skull comes up to um the cult member, and we get blood for blood, mm-hmm. and then he drinks some LSD and says more. 
Which that's what the, oh. the jar is supposed to be full of, like a hyper concentrated form of LSD. Yeah, which is what Red takes later. Yeah, which we get a fucking cool scene, but we'll we'll wait till we get there. Um, and then you know my nightmares come to life when these fucking crazy like biker beasts break into the house and kidnap Red and Mandy. Yeah, this is a very like man. This part was pretty cool. It was very reminiscent of like Hellraiser, but like the lights tur- are just strobing. Kind of like more turned to eleven though. Totally, I kind of agree. I'd love to see Panos. Like, handle a Hellraiser movie. That'd be pretty sick. It'd be fucking crazy. Yeah. I didn't really catch this originally, but um, the first Black Skull says blood for blood, and, and that's why the, the chubby blonde cult member kind of just gets ripped away by one of them at one point. Yeah. Which I didn't catch that the first time. I was always like, why didn't they just take him? Like, that made no sense to me, but I get it now. Oh, uh, well, they, it, like, he was the sacrifice for them to go get Mandy, potentially. Uh, blood for blood. Which who? Which one? Who? The the chubbier blonde kid, who I said. Oh, absolutely. I asked if he was from um, Bad Santa. <laughs> yeah, because he kind of looks like that kid. Um. Well, it seemed like he was saying to send someone else, and then because he says, uh, Jeremiah says, uh, like something along the lines of like take the porker as well, just to seal the deal. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So I think they were sp- offering something else as well. But I don't know who that would have been. Oh, it would have been the the drugs. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay, I that see. makes sense. Okay. There's there's a lot of little bits of dialogue that were kind of hard to catch. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm glad you got that. Um and then yeah, so we see that they were kidnapped and Mandy is pretty much dosed with some LSD and then stung by a fucking giant acid hornet. Yeah. Which this thing is gnarly looking. Like it's this giant hornet that's been in a jar of like acid, but they just pull it out and it looks like it's like Body is sort of like fried because it's not wanting to move, but its little stinger is still kind of moving, and that's yeah. how they get it to stinger. And I can only assume that she's just perma fried from this moment on. Yeah, probably. Which we sort of see the effects of this. Mm-hmm. Which this is also where we sort of see what um, uh, what's Jeremiah? Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah Sands all about, and he plays his shitty say, fucking his, record. His robe was pretty cool. I, I like this song. Uh, you would like his space robe. <laughs> that thing was so fucking 80s. I like this song, too. I thought it was cool. <laughs> it was okay, but he basically... Here's what I didn't like, is he tries to relate himself to the Carpenters, and I'm like, do not, because the Carpenters are amazing. And the sure. music's fine, but it's not the Carpenters. Well, he he tries to make it sound like his like shit's he's better, better than the Carpenters. Right. That's where it was kind of wrong. It would be one thing if he's like, yeah, I think this kind of sounds like the Carpenters, sure, right? Sure, like, sure. what do you think? Like, oh, reminiscent. Exactly. Sure, okay. But yeah, um, he does. He straight <laughs> up says, like, this transcends the Carpenters. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, fuck you, buddy. You um, do not. So, like, this scene gave me major Manson vibes. It's crazy, right? It, it, this was, like, very Manson-esque. Because he sort of MK Ultras her and, like, doses her. After she's been dosed, he sits there and tries to, like, walk her through the fact that he believes that he's, like, this saint for God. Well, and, like, how he was with, like, the women, and, right. like, he's trying to do music, and then he was kind of like, you know, I thought that was my path, but then, I guess God showed him something much more meaningful, which is, like, the shit he's doing now. Right. And, uh, this is, this is interesting, because this is where, like I said, we see the effects of the drugs on Mandy, and we see her face sort of blending forming in and out of of Jeremiah's, Jeremiah's face while he's giving a speech, like his little like spiel to her. He's monologuing and like looking right at the camera and then like subtly in between this whole monologue, it shifts to her face. And it's hard to tell if they're just trying to do that to like show that like she's still looking, like show her looking at him as well so that you're getting both 
perceptions. Like, gotcha, gotcha. Um, of each other, or That's if it was that because the drugs, because he right before that he says, uh, "Not and not long, you won't recognize me" or something like. that. Oh, I gotcha. Well, no. So I I assumed that um, what it was was. Because she was so heavily drugged and what he was talking about and trying to sort of influence her and, and brainwash her as well, she was sort of seeing herself in him. Yeah. And but literally. Right. And it was it was almost working, uh, what he was saying. Because she does sort of seem like she's in a daze. And she only breaks that daze once he goes to the next level. Once he takes it to the next step. Which, which uh what at what point in the movie are we? I I, what, I think there was a timestamp here. I believe we're at forty nine minutes, twenty three seconds here. Yeah. We get some dong. He hangs dong. He does. So if you've been listening to our theme song, Wondering, this movie. Yeah. This I, is the I movie. think actually there's been other episodes where we get some dong. Project Metal Wolf. Yep. Okay. Or Metal Beast. Definitely. There's Project dong in that Metal movie. Wolf. Uh, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, he hangs dong. He just fucking pulls his, his robe open and, and basically tries to sexually, like, come on to her. Yeah, and it's, it, I mean, I'm sorry, it's not impressive. It's fine. It, like, he's probably gotta, a grower, not a shower. I, I'm gonna say probably. Yeah. But I will But I will say, kudos to Linus Roach, because he fucking does this scene, and does, like, the, he plays it straight, straight as fuck. Like, he does what he needs to do for the character, and I don't know that I would do that. Yeah, he, he really, like, oh man, it's it's really cool. I liked, Like, watching this scene, I was just like, man, like, the fact that he really dove in and, like, did this, he he's that character in that moment. Yeah. Well, and her, too, like, the reaction and everything. Which, this like, is, I've been waiting, because she fucking laughs. She yeah. just laughs in his fucking face. Well, and at first, it's like, uh, it's definitely like, oh, she thinks it's funny, but then, like, it turns into this, like, kind of scary, haunting, like... Well, she sees that Almost he's... like she's, like, barking and, like, screaming at him, but, like, with laughter. And she sort of sees that he's, like, Getting more and by more this. pissed, so she's, and like, she's, doing... Yeah. yeah. She's egging him on. And he... The next scene, as well, is where I'm, I'm giving him, like, this kudos is this whole sort of segment, because we see him looking in the mirror, like, an inch away from the mirror, and he's, like, crying, asking, what do I do? Yeah. Over and over again, and I'm like, whoa, because this is a broken man. Yeah. Like, and you're also seeing that he's just a man. Yeah, you're seeing absolutely. through the veneer. Yeah, he's really pathetic. Um, but like, this is where I thought the movie was gonna kind of twist a little more because like, he he's like, like begging, like, what do I do? What do I do? And then like, it kind of like slows down, and you see him like kind of look at himself in the mirror, and then because you're really only seeing the reflection, right? You you see him say something kind of to himself, like, never doubt yourself and blah, 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 all this other stuff. Um, and I thought they were going to kind of take it to the next level to make this, like, extra weird and cosmic where, like, the reflection was going to, like, reach up and put his, like, like hand on his neck. like in Oh, that would have been sick. I thought it was going to go there, and I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. Like, like there's these two images, like, these sure. two versions of him that, like, kind of... I guess it would be kind of like an exaggerated, like, um, well, you're saying what he's personality saying. disorder sort of thing. Sure, sure, sure. I think that's cool. I, as much as I like that, I, I think that Jeremiah doesn't even get the benefit of being. No, absolutely not. He's just a pathetic piece of shit. Well, that's the thing is, like, I kind of thought he was going to transcend and be like this kind of god thing oh. or like trying to become one, you know? And, and actually, he's add, really just a dude. To add more to like what you're saying, actually, is the scene, uh, where I was talking about his facial features. Uh, like really telling his feelings for him is actually coming up and, and it's really relevant to what you're saying and what we're talking about. Yeah. 
So he has Mandy killed uh, in front of Red, who's barbed wire tied to a fucking post. Yeah, this is a super brutal scene because, like, with the lighting and everything, when... I mean, uh, I'll let you kind of guide this. Um. So uh, Mandy's brought out in a burlap sack, completely covered. They hang her by her legs and light her on fire. And Red has to watch, and he kind of just cries out and can't do anything because he's also got barbed wire around his mouth as a gag. Yeah. Which is so fucked up. And later on, we see like him just hanging his jaw as though like he just he can't even fathom yeah. to close his jaw at that point. And we also see sort of the rest of the cult members watching this happen. But... Before they set her on fire, Jeremiah wants to prove to Red that his cult is, like, all about him and that they're willing mm-hmm. to do anything. And he asks the young girl in the cult, um, basically, to, to get down on her knees. She He hands her a gun with a single bullet in it. It's a revolver. He spins it and gives it to her. She plays Russian roulette and says, uh, how committed are you, basically? And then she pulls the trigger and survives. But you can see in that moment that she she was like, I don't fucking think. Like, you could tell, like, she was, like, not sure. Right, but it seemed like it seemed like once she pulled the trigger and it was bl- it was blank, and she, you know she didn't die. Mm-hmm. It kind of seemed like she looked back at Red in a way like, like yeah, see, I do love him. Like she, like it's you're she right, was proving it. This this actress, well, she doesn't really have any lines. Like she's really, she, I don't think she does. She doesn't, and she's she's really she kills good. it in this movie because she has three, uh, three scenes that are kind of important as to development we have the first scene where she's introduced at the end of jeremiah's bitching yeah where you can it's see that pretty obvious that it's a sexual thing yeah the second time is here but also later in this scene while the fire is happening we see her reaction and unlike everybody else she's not she's, into it she's like really sad and, and everyone else is just kind of like laughing and like smiling and and you kind of like see who they are through that too because even the old woman you know she's kind of like smiling but like she's it seems like she's kind of holding back, but it also seems like she is having a hard time holding back and like sure. kind of lets it go too. But it almost here's the thing though: she almost seems like she's crying out of like pure joy, yeah. like out of bliss, right? And uh, most importantly, during this scene, we see Jeremiah, and what this is what I was talking about actually is Linus Roach in this scene. The way yeah. his face changes when he's watching Mandy burn, you see him lose all of the. Um, all of the like confidence he just had in what he was saying about how he's this powerful thing as though he thought that by doing this, he was going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm right. Mm-hmm. But after doing it, he's realizing like, I still don't feel anything. I kind of perceived it as like, he was actually like really sad that he had to do that. And I see that too. And I kind of was walking this line with it. And this is where my, my interest in true crime kind of pushes me to think this is a lot of people like, uh, not Linus, fuck, not, not Linus Roach. I like Linus Roach. A lot of people like Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're these broken people that can't feel anything and they're doing whatever they can to try to feel. Yeah. And I think that the reality is like, nothing's going to work for them. And that's what drives them to do like horrendous shit. And what, I don't remember if it was Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy that was an alcoholic, but he like straight up said like he drank because he couldn't deal with the fact that he was murdering. It was Dahmer. It was Dahmer, right. Yeah. And so like that kind of speaks to this moment or informs this moment for me. Yeah. Where he's watching this thing and you see him kind of just go de- like blank in the face over like not feeling it. Like it doesn't – he's not happy. He's not overjoyed. Yeah. And I mean the imagery with uh, Nick Cage's face in this scene too because like he he looks so inhuman in this moment. Yeah. Like, he's got blood all over his face. He's, like, crying and, like, screaming as he's watching this. And it, like, 
it looks like his like flesh has been like ripped off kind of it it's not like that it's just because he has blood on him and right. so it like gives us like red look especially with the lighting like well, and like this, the cinematography in this movie is like crazy beautiful. And I, I forgot to bring this up, but uh, they also like sort of emulate the death of Jesus when they stab him in the side. Uh, yeah, with I know the the blade the of the spear of destiny. The, well, is that what that is? That's what it is in the Bible. What is the thing they use in this? The blade of the pale knight. Well, I thought that was kind of like a like a sub name to it, maybe because I, I was de- thinking I think this is, is the spear of destiny. But yeah, they call it the blade. I don't. I didn't catch if they called it something else first, but then that older guy says uh, the blade of the pale knight, which I like that name for it. Though it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the pale knight's the, it's death. Yeah. It's the blade of death. Yeah. Blade of destiny. Or spear of destiny, blade of death. Like that's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then basically they leave red for dead. I just leave him there, and I didn't even think about. And then that he gets his redemption. Well, yeah, he he goes through this awful like experience of getting himself free, where he just has to like tear his hands apart trying to get out. Oh man, yeah, that was like actually pretty hard to watch. It was rough, and that's where the sound design got me a lot too, because you hear the barbed wire barbed scraping wire, like, against him, scraping and like being pulled. But uh, it's it doesn't. But it sounds like barbed wire against skin, not like it's breaking the skin, but like rubbing against it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like oh, it like made the hair on my neck stand up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, he goes home and and he initially gets home and sort of stumbles in and picks up. The shirt, which I forgot to mention this earlier, but Mandy does say that it's her favorite shirt when he's wearing it the first time we see it in the movie. Oh, the him. tiger? It's oh, the no, no, 55. The, the, the baseball jersey. Yeah. And uh, he picks it up and and immediately when he gets to the house. And he wears it from the movie in the movie from basically here on out. Yeah. Which it comes up again uh, when it gets ripped and he says, that's my favorite shirt. Yeah. Um, and I, I just thought that was cool because it was such a little thing where it's like, oh, he just like that's his connection to Mandy. That's yeah. it. Like that's all he has now. For sure. Which uh, we should bring up that he's wearing the uh, the tie- tiger shirt. Yeah. When this all when all this shit starts going down, he's wearing this badass tiger shirt. And I think that that's important to bring up because, like I said in the beginning, this movie's a lot of metaphors, and I think that that tiger shirt is a huge metaphor for something that is also metaphorical that happens later. Yeah, absolutely. And and <laughs> watching it, like I said, I've seen this movie like three or four times, and every time I just get so pumped on seeing these things because it just starts to, everything starts to click together. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and he he goes to bed after watching this uh, Cheddar Goblin commercial, which I'm not going to get into. Just go on YouTube and look it up. It was funny, but also extremely eerie. And I will say that I believe it was written by Alan Resnick, who made Too Many Cooks, This House mm. Has People In It, um, Unedited Footage of a Bear. Yeah. Like that guy. I'm pretty sure he did it. Which is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Also, he, uh, the dude who did effects on that works in, on Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Yeah, okay. Because uh, Henry makes reference to it in the last podcast. Is, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said I wasn't going to go into it, and I went into it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Red passes out on his bed, and we get to see him have a nightmare. One of three that he has in this movie, and it's these animated sequences of Mandy. Yeah. And she's naked. The first time she's naked, she's turning around and you're seeing her face and her jaw is sort of like decomposed. Yeah. And you can see that her face is, sort of looks zombified. Yeah. And he wakes up terrified and goes uh, into the bathroom and grabs the bottle from under the sink, which that is huge because he's a recovering alcoholic and he yeah. has a bottle hidden in the bathroom. I think that's kind of a, a big uh, character thing. Like it's, it's a lot of backstory without a lot of words. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's and why, like, you you really got to like pay attention to this movie too. Totally, and and here's where we get Rage Cage. Yeah, absolutely. and and we already talked about it, but 
I, I do want to say that this is, um, as much as one might feel like they should laugh at him in this because he does go like crazy. This is one of the most like emotionally charged scenes I think I've ever seen in context. Oh, yeah. I think this scene, if you're saying this scene is like rage cage and you mean it in like a, a bad way, like I, I think you need to kind of like take a step back because like well, because everything people... he witnesses and then like, you know, like he, he's breaking, uh, you know, however many days he's been sober now, I guess. Yeah. And then, you know, he's like, he's in pain, he's upset. And then like, he also like breaks down. Yeah. And he's like and crying. He's and also then gets pouring like it on upset himself again. to like uh, clean his wounds, which he's like cut up and just like fucked, man. Yeah, and we see a couple of minutes of this until he finally like chills out. Yeah. And then he's like, I know what I got to do. And then uh, this is where he goes to Bill Duke, and Bill Duke sort of gives the background on the Black Skulls. Uh, and he also gets his crossbow back, the yep. Reaper. In mint condition, the way yeah. he left it. Uh, and Bill Duke gives him a couple of bolts, which I think he only uses two. Which yeah. are the two that he gives him. And yeah. I was like, oh, cool. Continuity is completely like, true to like what's happening. That's awesome. Yeah. But then after that... <laughs> after that, I think, is where we get... Oh, well, actually, there was That's a couple... That's where we get his like, cool-ass axe. Uh, he does cast this huge, gnarly axe, which I love. This thing looks straight out of like a Marvel comic. Uh, absolutely. Like, it, it's so fucking cool. I remember it looking kind of cooler in the trailer, and I thought I remember seeing something, but I think I'm also getting it confused with maybe the Color Out of Space trailer. I'm not sure. Oh, I see. But um, I feel like I remember seeing something with the axe, and so like I thought maybe it had, like, a jewel on it or something. But, no, he just makes this really fucking cool-looking axe. and Foreshadowing. Yeah. Because <laughs> he said color out of space. Unfortunately. And then we get the credits. We get, not like that, the credits, but like Mandy. We see Mandy <laughs> at an hour and 15 minutes. That's it. That was the movie. the movie. And and this is, so I say this is where Mandy, the movie begins. And I say those first two chapters are sort of um, the uh, prologue. I would say really the, the first chapter is the prologue. And then we sort of see the first real chapter of the movie and then yeah. Mandy. Which Mandy... You could jump in and watch this as just a violent set, like uh, sequence of scenes. Yeah. But it really is more impactful with these first two chapters. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all necessary. Yeah. So we're going to just run through basically the brutality that is the next uh, half of this movie. Yeah. Uh, Red shoots the first crossbow, crossbow bolt through one of the Black Skulls, taking him out on his bike. He then proceeds to hit him with his truck. While yeah, he's on the ground. Which, flipping the truck. Yeah, the truck just hits him and, like, flips. Yeah. So, I didn't know if that meant that... It kind of seemed like it was back on its bike again, or a quad, or whatever it was, right after that. I was going to say, do you think that one survived? Yeah, I absolutely do, because I think that that's the one that dragged him back. Okay. okay but that makes it sense. was just confusing, because it seemed like it fell off the bike or whatever. And was standing there, and he hit it. But then, right after we see like him get done crashing, it seemed like the the thing was like back on its bike already. See, like I thought it, it was like a it diff- charged at him. I thought it was like a different one that was coming in. It could have been. It was kind see, of. It's kind it, of, it was kind of hard. hard to tell right there. I'd have to like watch it again. So he wakes up and he is handcuffed to a radiator, and his other hand is nailed to the floor. Yeah. One of the black skulls comes in and just kind of fucks with him, and he uh, doesn't take it that shit. 
and knocks him straight into a fucking pit. Now this, when I say pit, I'm saying he drops the nail after having it pulled out of his hand, and it takes about three seconds before we hear it hit the ground. Yeah, it's a, a fucking it's a drop. drop. Yeah. So yeah, he comes out to the black skull that's sitting on the couch, just snorting piles of fucking cocaine watching porn. Yep. Now, this scene to me, uh, watching it this time, like, kind of set in, like, how fucked up these dudes are. Yeah. And I don't know why it never, like, really set in until now, but this guy's watching porn, and he doesn't... It's not that he's, like, jacking off. We see that his he has a blade on his body where his dick was. Yeah. Like, this dude's watching porn, and it, it's like, well, if he fucked, he would kill. Like, that's so fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, driven to kill. Yeah. These people are. And he fights this guy, and this guy uh, comes at him and tries to, like, hump at him. Uh, meanwhile, Nick Cage grabbed... Uh, Nick Cage. Uh, Red grabbed a box cutter on the way out and a bulletproof vest. Yeah. Which is what kind of saves him through this. For sure. And the box cutter he uses to cut the dude's throat, and he bleeds... Showers blood all over Red. No, I'm pretty sure he cut his dick off. Was that what it was? Yeah. Oh, God. Because it, like, got stuck in the ground or something, and he, like, cut it off. Oh, I thought that because the blade dick was in the ground, he just cut the dude's throat because he was on top of him. Oh, maybe. That's I... what it kind of looked like to me. Huh. Now... See, I need to I need to see it again. Well, after this, he goes, uh, he goes to, like, sort of leave, only he's attacked by the, the first skull that he threw down uh, into, like, the hole. Yeah. He's, like, back out of nowhere. Yeah. And so they fight, and... Was they... it the same one? I th- I think it was. They looked like they had the same face because it had that weird like white mask. It's like hard to tell. <laughs> yeah, it is. The, the lighting with the movie and also like the lighting in the room was kind of fucky until like halfway, th- like a little further into the movie, I think. But or maybe it's around about uh, right about here where we like fixed it. But like there was always like there was like kind of a glare on the TV for yeah, a while. Yeah, so, like, it was. It was it's difficult. Some stuff. This movie is dark. But it, th- that's why I say like you got to be in like a like the perfect lit room for it. Uh, you know, and, like, on a good TV, because, like, yeah, there's this, uh, just a lot of dark you know, imagery, but, like, it's cool, but it's just hard to see. God, I really wish I could remember how he ends up actually killing this guy. Well, there was another one where... Well, there's a third one outside. He then does a ton of coke, real quick. Yeah. Red does some coke. He finds his axe uh, and his crossbow, the Reaper, and pretty much, like, heads outside to well, before find... That, he oh. gets a little dip of uh, what they've been cooking up. Right. So he does some of the acid. He and dips we... his finger in this like weird cup. Like It looks like it's full of just like gray powder or something. It was right. hard to kind of like see what it was. Because it's this hyper-concentrated Yeah, but batch. then when he like dips it out, it looks like it was like dripping. So it was like kind of weird. Like it wasn't viscous? It was kind of thin? It seems like it just cakes on the outside and then maybe is like fully liquid on the inside or something. Not mixed well, maybe. Yeah, something. And then so like he just dips his finger in it and then like licks it. Like, which like why would you do that? Well, he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. But and did he know or like, uh, like what if it was just like cum or something? I think he. Well, I think he knows because uh, Bill Duke's character told him that they were like oh, addicted yeah, yeah, yeah. to this hyper concentrated acid shit. That yeah, they took. sure. And, uh, I mean, we see how crazy it is, because his fucking face, we see, like, his face melt off of his uh, skull, and, yeah, like, these crazy Yeah, we get this really imagery. cool moment. Um, yeah. I it, loved this shot. I thought it was insane. It was, no, it was done really well, and, like, this movie is such a trip. Like, it's it's just fun to watch. So, he, he goes outside, and he shoots a crossbow bolt through the neck of the last black skull, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, like, oh, this is 
for some reason I I can never remember how this scene plays out. But what happened was I was I was thinking like oh it was a setup, but no the dude just doesn't flinch and then pulls the arrow through his neck. Yeah, and like bleeds. And... Yeah, doesn't give a fuck. And then Red comes over and fights him, and we get this pretty badass melee fight yeah. where Red's using his axe. Um, and he ultimately does get this dude who uh, by cutting his head off. Yeah, he, like, stabs him with one side of the axe, uh, right. pushes him into the car that's on fire. He lights on fire. And then he cuts And he's, like, off. saying it burns, right. but, like, he's into it. No, 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 he's saying she's still burning. She oh. burns. She burns. She burns. Okay, gotcha. And that's when he gets his head cut off. I was going to wait to do quotes, but that one is important because it's what basically sets Red into cutting his fucking head off right there. Gotcha. Uh, I thought it was just because, um, which this is kind of what it makes it more... Um, Clyde Barker-esque, uh, when Bill Duke's character is talking about these things, he says, uh, well, I think he wanted to probably save it. But... I don't have the full quote. I couldn't catch all of it because he says a lot. But he says something oh, I was along just the lines like, of them being uh, like, mutilated or beat up, uh, cut up or something. I don't know. I just remember him saying, uh, when I saw these things, they were in so much pain. He's like, but you know what the freakiest part of it was? They loved it. Yeah, this is they fucking loved it. Yeah. He's like, I love Bill Duke's delivery, too. He steals the scene when he comes in and does that monologue. Oh, for sure. It's so like, great. He's such a good addition to this movie, and even just for this one part. Like, you don't see him again. And but you like, totally, like, you feel the, the chemistry between him and Red. They're just yeah. two old friends. He kind of knows this older guy, and he yeah. asked him to hold on to his old crossbow for him. It's just this cool old guy lives in a trailer. Red stripping balls, and he finds a half of, of a cigarette on the ground, and he lights it up on the burning, decapitated head. It's fucking badass. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome. Uh, and then this is where Red basically goes to the drug cook to get sort of an explanation as to where the cult are, now that he's found his revenge on the Black Skulls. And this is where we get uh, Richard Brake's character. Mm-hmm. And Richard Brake's awesome, too. There's so many good actors in this movie. Yeah. And they all kill it. Like, everybody is performing at the top of their level in my opinion part of me kind of thinks bill duke was in doom as well but i'm not i don't think so i actually think he was yeah he might have been i think he was that's so crazy he's in a lot of stuff so it's hard sure. to, i mean um and so yeah he goes to this cook and uh the cook kind of they have this cool conversation where the red doesn't say anything he comes in and just looks at him with like this complete disdain mm-hmm. and the cook he's goes like covered through this, in blood and shit and right. has his axe and and this cook goes through this monologue about like I don't even really know. He kind of just is saying a bunch of crazy shit, but then he's like, "Oh, they wronged you, mm-hmm. and uh, and you're out for revenge." And basically, is like, "I get it," and tells him where they are. He says, "Like head north." And then he well, now he, this is the part that we right. Okay, so he lets the, the tiger out of the cage. There's a tiger that's just in a cage, and he lets the tiger out of the cage, almost as though Red's telling him to, but. In doing so, he also sort of lets Red's tiger out of its cage. Yeah. And that's why I thought this part was kind of, like, huge, because you get to visually see it, but it's also the moment that the tiger actually is let out of the cage with Red, because he finally goes and seeks his revenge, and as much crazy shit as he has done, the the brutal shit's coming up. Yeah. And he was, you know, that's why I thought it was cool that when we talked about, like, his his tiger shirt, and I was like, oh, that shirt's really cool. Right. And, like, it was a really cool design. And and one thing I noticed was it didn't seem like you really got to see the tiger shirt until after Mandy dies. Because he was wearing it when it happened. He was wearing it when it happened and never really, like, showed it fully. Right. So you don't get to see it until he's in the bathroom. And then once you see the tiger here with the cook 
and he lets it out of the cage, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. that's that tie-in right there. That's that foreshadowing, essentially. Now, I like the the Cook character because he, I did too. he sort of, um, he seems like, and I, I said fantasy, this movie's a fantasy, he sort of seems like a fantasy character, almost like he's a, like, a sage. Uh, he's like the Oracle. Or, or is that what the word is, a sage? Uh, sort of. I guess Oracle I mean, is a better word. He is sort of like an Oracle. And uh, to that, uh, I would say that the older lady in the cult is almost like a witch yeah. or even maybe a succubus. Uh, I don't want to say succubus because she doesn't have any power. It's just that she tries to be so seductive with everybody. But she really is almost witchy. Yeah. And I will give it that. He heads north and we see the second of his dreams. Or actually, this might be the third of his dreams. The second dream that he has is once again of Mandy's face, but her eyes are glowing. Mm-hmm. And then this last dream that he has, this is where he stops off, right? He has his last dream, and it's Mandy, and her hand is inside of a monster that's on the ground and sort of dead, and she pulls a green glowing orb out of it. Mm-hmm. And I believe this to be a reference to The Serpent's Eye, the book she was reading earlier, because she sort of reads through a dialogue of someone reaching into the void uh-huh. and feeling a smooth, glassy surface. Right. And so I sort of thought, like, oh, this is very reminiscent of what she was reading in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and she sort of lifts it up. And, and this is where Red wakes up and it, he does his first attack on uh, the cult. Uh, is the older guy. And then, you know, the girl that... The younger cult girl. Yeah, she she kind of... I say younger. She's probably in her early 20s. Maybe, maybe 19, maybe 20. But yeah. Early 20s. I mean, she was, like, the youngest one in the cult. Right. And, uh, yeah, so he, he, I believe, sends the last bolt. Oh, no, no, he's out of crossbow bolts at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly... Oh, there were jacks, these, like, metal jacks that he put in the road that blew out the tires on the van. So they oh. stop. He comes out and, like, pushes this guy against a tree uh, and gets him down. And, uh, essentially, this guy says the wrong thing to him because he looks at him and says it's better to burn out than fade. And before he can finish, Red sticks the bottom of his axe, the blade directly down this guy's throat yeah and just like, keeps pushing it every point of this axe is like a fucking crazy blade essentially <laughs> it's a three-point weapon yeah yeah and he even at one point uses it as a way to manipulate somebody by putting it around their neck and pulling them around i thought it would have been uh like way more brutal if like when he first like s- sticks it in the dude's mouth if he was like all right go ahead and finish you know. like, like finish what you're saying it, well and that's the thing too like red doesn't have much dialogue from Mandy's murder, or after Bill Duke uh, and him have their conversation on. Yeah. Now, he does have a couple of lines, and I do have them because they're huge. Yeah. They make the film, in my opinion. The doofy cult member from earlier that we were making fun of, he's he's cleaning a car, like a muscle car. Yeah, and he's like, what what kind of music do you think he was listening to? Because I was kind of confused by it. it, uh, it was, was it like, like Italian, or was no, it? No, it was like Hispanic. Okay. Uh, like Hispanic pop music. E- yeah. Like um, traditional pop, I mean, like 83, 1983 pop music. Sh- okay, sure, sure, Because sure. this movie takes place in 83. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's right. That's what I would probably say. I always forget that, because, like, it doesn't necessarily It feels feel timeless, it. right? Yeah. yeah. And he gets a fucking axe to the dome. We see the axe <laughs> flipping through the air, and it slams right into the top of his head and takes him down. <laughs> I remember I was in the middle of saying something, because I, I, I thought it was kind of goofy that, but, like, just kind of, like, cool that... This guy was just blasting this Hispanic music while he's, like, wiping out his car. Because he's, like, the whitest dude. Oh, totally. Blonde-ass mullet and, like, super goofy looking. But he kind of dresses, like... He kind of dresses, like, a... kind of clean cut, like a socialite at the time. I mean, I guess in the 50s they called them socialites, but... He kind of looked like... But, like, uh, dudes in, like, early 2000s. Like, uh, like kind of like uh, B-Rad from... Uh, 
like the white gangster type guy. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. He kind of dressed so that funny. way. That's hilarious. Um, and I was saying something about it, and then we kind of talked about how like it's kind of cool to see these moments where like you, you see the uh, you kind of get a bit of each character and how who they are, and they even feel though they're real. not that important, but like it's kind of nice to have that for a second. And I'm like in mid sentence talking about something. And you just see this fucking axe flipping through the air, and I was like, "Oh, what the fuck!" And you see like uh, the silhouette of the shadow, like just being nailed in the head by it. it was it's like one of the craziest shots in the whole movie, and I was just like blown away by it. Honestly, I like audibly. Oh yeah, reacted. you gasped. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I was it, like, "Oh my god!" It's very reminiscent of uh, like Sin City, the yes. way that scene is shot. Absolutely. Now we get the second best, or not second best, but the second to happen best melee fight i've ever seen including chainsaws yes <laughs> because red goes up to this huge like heavy type dude in the cult with a chainsaw that he's trying to start it's a pretty standard size chainsaw and he's walking toward him having troubles getting it to start <laughs> this guy pulls out a <laughs> comically long chainsaw and starts it it's like fucking three it's for feet. like big trees absolutely like yeah but this dude is just handling it by himself like it's nothing swinging it around yeah like red. it's a huge bastard sword and he seemed kind of like tall and lanky too so it was kind of that like towering knight you absolutely know, that, like it, it felt fantasy it felt yeah. fantasy as fuck they yeah. have this like sword fight with these chainsaws and ultimately, Red uses um his you 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 kind of called this when we were watching it, but he uses his Ghost Rider powers and throws the chain oh, around this yes. guy's neck. So the thing about this movie was it kind of seemed like there were bits which, like, I kind of said this jokingly, but I'm wondering if there's any sort of like actual um like truth to this or not. But it seemed like there were so many scenes just kind of um like calling back to Nicolas Cage's like roles in other movies. Well, I think you're onto something because there is a lot of that in this movie. I it's also think just a theory, but I like... also think that it just, I think that there's something to be said about Nicolas Cage's career yeah. and the amount of types of roles that he's been in. Absolutely. And, uh, it's funny because the whole time I was actually kind of bummed when he is on the quad because I was like, man, I wish he had the bike. Um, Right. Because when he picked up the bulletproof vest, I actually thought it was, like, a jacket. And I was like, cool, he took one of the dude's jacket, and he's, like, just, like, looking all cool. And I was like, he's starting to get this kind of Ghost Rider look. And uh, um, I was like, man, we don't quite get it. And then he, like, throws that chain around the dude's neck and, like, pulls him down to that fucking chainsaw on the ground. Which, just, yeah, like, you see this guy die on the chainsaw. Yeah, but, like, that that was probably, like, one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. Honestly, it yeah. was it was a really cool way to you use a chainsaw to kill somebody from a from a writing standpoint. Yeah, because like it's not a straightforward like, oh, I'm going to get you with a chainsaw the way he right. ends up dying. It's actually really cool. Now, yeah. So Red goes into their little uh, cult church. He finds the older cult woman who I referred to as a witch earlier, and uh, she tries to seduce him. Yeah, which this seems weird. I mean, it, it's supposed to be. And the way that he, the transition here, I think, is so genius. And in my mind, the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I get what they're alluding to with this and why he did that. But hearing the way you responded to this scene, I was like, oh, it worked. What do you did? Yeah. It totally worked. Because the we get sort of her getting close to red, and then we fade to black. And then yeah. we sort of fade into uh, Jeremiah by himself. Fucking sort naked. Of praying. I think he has some sort of underwear on, but yeah. He oh yeah. Naked. Cause it looked, you couldn't see his dong anymore. Really? Right. More of a ding of, than a dong really. But. <laughs> uh, and we see her head 
come sort of rolling into the or flying into the yeah. room with them, it and pops. we realized that Red didn't did not succumb to her, or he did and then killed her. But I I don't I'm gonna think so. in my head canon. There's no succumbing to that witch, and he just cuts her head off because he's a fucking brutal bastard. Yeah, I, I, I think that was you know. And then we get to see the most telling uh, scene of the whole film. Uh, the whole film, as far as uh, Jeremiah goes, where he basically breaks down and shows how pathetic he actually is. Yeah, because Red's a badass and he holds him down. And now there's a scene here where he's holding uh, Jeremiah's face. Red is, and Jeremiah's sort of uh, after he gets done begging and he's like, "I'll suck your dick. I'll suck your dick." He starts to be like, "Oh, you can't do anything." That's what during, I should have done for the quote. During that scene, <laughs> the way his face is kind of pushed, he looks just like Christian Bale. And I was like, that's so fucking weird because he plays his dad in the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. That's kind of an interesting uh, thought. But I think they're uh, Christian Bale and Linus Roach are both great actors. I thought I'm he not, actually looked know, more like Jared Leto. I could sort of see that, especially with the long hair in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could totally see that. And it's It's the big eyes, too. And like the kind of weaselly head, kind of like um, uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston. <laughs> oh, sure. Actually, you say that name and I totally yeah. get what you yeah. mean. That's that, funny. That weaselly look that like, <laughs> I'm up to something. Uh, so Red says. I love Tom Hiddleston. Red says two things. I was, I, I'm going to do some quotes in a little bit or in just a minute, but I'm going to get these two out now because they're. They are pretty much the movie wrapping up with mm-hmm. these two lines. By the way, did we tell you it's going to be a little bit of a long one? Well, uh, you know, we're almost <laughs> done. It's, we're only about an hour. Not for sure. Um, he says, the psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. You're drowning. I'm swimming. Yeah. Dude, that line's fucking crazy. It was really hard for me to understand it because of the modulation. They modulated his voice down a lot. And uh, it sucks because, like, I love that they did that. Uh-huh. But, like, it's kind of hard to understand totally and then uh i mean jeremiah sort of like tries to tell him like oh you're wrong you're wrong and all this stuff and be sort of high and mighty while he's still down with his face in between nick cage's hands yeah but then red says i'm your god now and crushes his fucking head and his eyes pop (laughs) out of his head which i thought he was gonna go the like uh god of war route and just like shove his thumbs through his eyes right no he pops his head with his bare hands yeah fucking metal dude the strength to do that. I mean, the body mass alone. Dude, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> a skull, though? Dude, that's crazy. I uh, know. That's what I mean. I'm like, can somebody, like... Like, I'm sure there's dudes that can do that. Totally. Depending on, like, who they're doing it to. But, like, like with Nick Cage, like... Dude, he has the I sheer mean, will willpower to do it. I think that's really what it was. It was, like, the, the rate... Like, yeah, exactly. And that, that's just, what I think his character is. Is just the pure, like, willpower... To get revenge. Yeah. And we see Red drive off into the cosmic night, smiling as Mandy's spirit is set to peace. Yeah. That was a weird scene. And, like, he was so, like, that kind of, like, opens up why he was, like, grinning so much. Because it was, like, kind of this weird moment. Because, like, it's kind of like this, like, rage cage grin, you know? And he's, like, covered in blood. And it became a meme. Uh, Oh, really? After movie came out, this picture of him covered in blood smiling became sort of a meme. And I get it. I do get it. It's a goofy image, but in context of the film, I actually think that it completely fits. Yeah, because then I don't laugh at it. He's happy. He's he's happy, and this is a character you almost don't think is ever going to be happy again. Mm-hmm. But he's almost at one with Mandy now. Yeah, it's interesting. He sort of transcended humanity through this like violence. Yeah, Mandy's character I want to talk about because she almost is a martyr 
for free thought in a sense because she's killed for not succumbing to Jeremiah. Right. And who, yes, he is technically Christian. I'm not going to label him a Christian in this. He's a co-leader. He is still representing this idea of groupthink mm-hmm. or, you know, um, the hive mind type thought. And, and she doesn't at all fall into it. Right. And so he has her killed. The same person that was only there because he made her come. Right. He kidnapped her. And uh, because she dies, Red is her salvation. He's like the reckoning, you know, yeah. that comes in and, and then you see it play out. And so this movie is sort of like fantastical in um, imagery, but also like it has its own like sort of mythology. Definitely. And I, I kind of. You can really feel it. I kind of really love this movie. I know I said that, but like I and I know you can hear it just me talking about it. But I, I really love this movie. Yeah, I think this is a fucking awesome movie. There was uh, maybe you've written it down um, because I don't. I didn't take any notes. I had to. It was kind of my first time watching it. Um, I tried before, and I just really wasn't in the mood to like watch a movie. I don't know what it was, and I'm mad at myself now. But like. I just, like, I couldn't watch it, and so, like, I didn't get far into it when I tried to watch it before. But there was this really cool line um, that Bill Duke said in regards to, like, getting vengeance, and he says, like, you're gonna die. Uh, I have it. So... Okay. Um, so it starts out because he, basically the, the idea is Red says he's getting back into hunting and that's why he's getting his weapons. And Bill Duke says, right. Uh, what like, you, what'd you hunt? What'd you hunt? And he says, Jesus freaks. And he says, I didn't know they were in season. And Red yeah. freaks out and says, like, they burned her. And that's where you see more emotion come out of this character. And also yeah. you realize these two guys do know each other. And they yeah. are kind of close. Um, and yeah, so then near the end of this uh, rant that Bill Duke gives, he says, you're going to die. Like, you're, you're going to die doing this. Right. And um, yeah, so, so Red says, uh, don't be so negative. Yeah. I thought that was like such a cool little line because it does show you that like, he doesn't give a fuck. That's not what he's thinking about right now. Well, and so like that set it up to make me think he was going to die. Because we've also talked about that with revenge stories a lot lately, where, like... Well, sure, because traditionally, if you're one out to get revenge, is going to die at the end. Or or at least the character will metaphorically die and be resurrected as something else. Yeah. I uh, guess, um, for that scene where they're in the car, I guess I wish, like, Nick Cage wasn't, like, bulging his eyes. If he looked a little more relaxed... Yeah, because he does look like he's, like, being, like... He's, like, <laughs> which I do Like, I get it. After that... You probably would be, and he's maybe he's still high too. Well, and that's—I was gonna say—I think that the um, kind the, of probably the idea perma-fried. is he's permafried now, yeah. and that's why he's sort of just like tripping out the whole time. Oh, uh, it, which he takes the cool muscle car. That's how you get your gone in sixty seconds moment for <laughs> yeah. the movie. Yes. Uh, so for, I have a couple of quotes. I went through most of them, but I do have a couple left. Uh, right before Mandy's lit up, uh, one of them says the old guy actually in the cult says, "The darker the whore, the brighter the flame." Yeah, which is fucked. Uh, which is also like incredibly ironic. Like it's because she wouldn't sleep with Jeremiah. Yeah. That this all happened. Well, and then after that, he, he called her his ugly whore too. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're the one that wanted her. It's, it's interesting. Like, uh, Panos, I, I, I can't help but feel like he, he has this sort of disdain for the corruption of like these sort of, uh, organized groups. I'm not yeah. going to say just religions, but groups in mm-hmm. general and, and he feels like people that are just genuine people are pulled into these things and manipulated and destroyed because of it. And that's what this film kind of is saying. Yeah. Uh, anyways, we have uh, 
from the Cheddar Goblin scene, Red does say Cheddar Goblin. And I thought that was funny because yeah. it, it is this dude who's totally just went through this trauma and that's what's on the TV. And it, it's almost like that's the only thing he can even do is just repeat what he just heard. Right. And it's like, fuck. Um, and then it it goes like instantly to uh, like a test, uh, like government yeah, test or whatever. And it beeps through. Yeah. 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 Um, so it's the Black eerie. Skull... Black Skull rips his shirt, and he says, that's my favorite shirt. And then right before Red uh, attacks the first Black Skull and throws him down, or second one, rather, and throws him into the pit, he says, uh, uh, you are a vicious snowflake. And then he hits him with the bar that he's uh, handcuffed to and ends up knocking him into the pit. Mm -hmm. What are we scoring the movie out of today? Uh, There's a lot of cool shit to pick from. Oh, I already have it picked. It's definitely, like... Giant metal axe tomahawks to the head. Right on. How many uh, giant metal axe tomahawks to the head are you give in the movie? Easily five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously a heavy uh, recommend? Yes. Um, although, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to say yes. Yes. I'm going um, to say something that I think that is probably close to what you think about that, what I just said. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie is also easily a five out of five for me. And and I don't – I try to be um, sort of objective with my scores where it's not really me leaning toward my feelings and why I liked it or the fact that I liked it. But I love this movie and it's five out of five. It's a perfect film. Yeah. I, I – here's the thing. I didn't think it was nec- – I did think it was perfect but there were some things that I wasn't in love with. Um, and that's kind of what I wanted to discuss a little bit. Um but like I, the score was great. Like all the music cues, I think, I think Panos Cosmatos is doing something in the background with some of his stuff that you're not really realizing at the same time because I had to try and point it out to you and missed it. Um, Which I'm kind of like, I don't know if that was just me or what, but there's a moment in uh, right before it's at like 29 minutes or so. It's the moment that, um, the cult run into Mandy the first time. It's when we get children of the new dawn. Yes, exactly. You see them passing by in a van and, uh, you thought you you were seeing faces in the trees behind her though. The way that the shadows were like moving, it like would form kind of a face right when like the music cued. And that's what was so eerie because it was right after she passed and then when we, I watched you reverse it, it kind of looked like something was like turning. Huh. But then when I saw it again, I, I like completely missed it until I had to like rewind it back one more time and like show you again. Well, and even when you said that, that kind of made me realize too, like that, even if there's nothing there, that goes to Panos and how much tension he's building in a way that you are look, you're seeing shit that's not even there that's freaking you out. And it's, and it's not even traditional ways of ten- tension building. He's not yeah. using like the generic, uh, like string staccato buildup. That's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. I get yeah. It. it. No, the music in this has nothing to do with why it's scary. They do add to it though. It does. Cause they're like it, these blaring horns and stuff. But you could take the music out low... and the tension still in this movie Yeah, because you can feel that something is wrong. Oh, absolutely. Or something's coming. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was going to say is I, while I'd love to say, yes, I would recommend this movie to everybody, and I do kind of recommend this movie to everybody, I can also understand why someone wouldn't like this movie. Yeah, me too. Um, but as far as film being a form of art, I think that this is a 5 out of 5, and that's why I give it a 5 out of 5. I think this is a perfect representation of what Panos was trying to create, and it 100% hit me. Right. I mean, so. the cinematography, the story, the, the score, and just like the execution of everything was like just really well done. 
This is a masterclass in filmmaking. If you're looking to become a filmmaker, watch this movie and try to figure out how they did half of it. Yeah, for real. It, it, literally, that's that should be a class, trying yeah. to di- dissect this movie, just figuring out how they visually made it come to life. Yeah, absolutely. That is a that on that with this one. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to make this one too long. I think it's still shorter than Upgrade. <laughs> oh, probably. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, guys. And, and whoever out there, I remember someone said they liked the longer episodes. Well, this season's for you, probably. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, <laughs> make sure to go follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Wire, or WAWWTPod. Also, um, please go follow our horror page at DYD Horror on Instagram. If you click the link in the bio, it will take you to our short films. They're horror films. We have three of them. Right now, by the time this comes out, we may be on four. Um, and then if you're not using YouTube for that stuff, go to Facebook. We're on there as well and like the page. We'd greatly appreciate it. For sure. And, uh, you know, if you've been listening for a while or you're new here, it'd be great to uh, get some, like, reviews. You know, you're probably listening to us on Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, what was the other one? Google Play? Uh, yep. Um, it's funny. I got Stitcher this time, but uh, I'm like, what's it? Oh, CastBox. That's it. Our home, um, our home podcast. Yeah, our home podcast. Uh, yeah, that stuff helps us out tremendously. Also, just, you know, like, let us know what you think. What should we do? Do you want us to like watch certain things? Like maybe we'll do that. Yeah, if you want us to talk about a movie, let us know. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, I'm just gonna keep telling you guys about movies. That you I, want a sticker? That I, yeah, yeah. Give us a review. Apple Podcasts. Yep, I'll send you a sticker. Thanks, guys. And without the COVID, hold the COVID. Yeah, <laughs> and thanks for uh, if you are like a normal listener. Thanks for listening too and like tuning in. Like the, it's really cool. Like. We've kind of seen some traction. It's not a ton, but like... All right, we appreciate all of you. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Peace, bitches. Why are we watching that?